Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. We are continuing in our study, Growing Grace. Week one, our God speaks, so we read our Bible and pray. Week two, our God makes us a family, so we pursue community. Week three, our God lays down his life, so we gladly serve. Week four, today, our God is generous, so we joyfully give. Talk about giving today. And giving is one of those topics that we could say a lot about. We could spend a lot of time on, we could spend weeks on. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to try to answer every question that you possibly have about the Old Testament and New and percentages and all that kind of deal. I don't think that that's the point. We're going to talk about a singular point today. And let me do say this. Of all of the weeks, I think that this is probably the most important. Whenever you're around church folks and they get defensive about a topic or a topic is controversial, it's generally because it's profoundly important. It's generally because it's profoundly important. And let me tell you why I think this is so important. Because God says that if he has your stuff, he has you. If he has your money, he has your heart. But if he doesn't have your money, if he doesn't have your treasure, he doesn't have you. And so here's what I know. I know that when we talk about giving, if you'll receive what the Holy Spirit has to say to you today, and if you'll give God what is already his, that he'll have all of you. That if he has your heart, you'll read your Bible and pray, you'll pursue community, you'll gladly serve, and you'll be on mission. I also know this. If God doesn't have your heart, you won't do any of those things. And so one of the most quantifiable, objective ways that we can evaluate our true understanding of who God is and how much we actually love him is to look at our time, treasures, and talents and and this idea of generosity. And so I'm going to read our text and then I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to just ask the Holy Spirit to knock down any walls that you might have, any presuppositions, any defensiveness, and just receive the things that we're going to talk about. I hope that this is going to be a little different than you think it's going to be. Uh, We're going to not spend so much time on the giving thing as much as some others, but I'm going to read through our text, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get after it. Fair enough? Okay. Both of you, thank you for that. All right. (laughs) Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he's going to reference churches in Macedonia, three churches, a church at Philippi, a church at Thessalonica, and a church at Berea, two of those books in the Bible written to them, the book of Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, but all three referenced. Paul is going to use them as an example around generosity. 8 and verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Y'all didn't stand while I was reading the Bible. Oh, I got to tell you, that's where we are now? You don't do anything unless I tell you specifically? All right, fair enough. Why don't you stand while we pray? (laughs) 
You guys are such an obedient crowd. <laughs> Said no one ever. All right, just kidding. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit today. God, we have lots of different preconceived ideas around this topic. I pray that you'll keep the enemy away, that you'll allow us to hear from no one other than you. And I pray, God, that you'll speak in a tone, in a voice, in a language that we can understand, that we can receive, and that we can follow. God, this is an important topic. That's why it's so controversial. I pray that you'll help my tone and my attitude and my delivery to be anointed by your Holy Spirit, uh, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, to accomplish the purposes that you have for us as we're your people. We want to follow you for your glory and our joy. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. I don't want you guys to stand the whole time because I didn't say to sit down. <laughs> Let me give you a, uh, an illustration around this idea of giving. About 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And uh, while I was there, I went to, as an American, the Van Gogh Museum. If you are Dutch, it's the Van Gogh Museum. Uh, and so I gave myself away right away. Uh, but I, I've said to you before that coming out of school, I was very close to going to art school, had a couple scholarships, opportunities to go, uh, decided against it. But my mom was an art major, and I very much enjoy and love art. And so the opportunity to go to a museum uh, of such a renowned artist was a great opportunity. So went in, and uh, the two most famous paintings that exist in the Van Gogh Museum are the sunflower and then the self-portrait, which is going to come up there in a second. And I was able to see both of those in person. And, and, and there's something that's interesting about an art museum. I have read lots of books, uh, looked at lots of things on the web and in print of different pictures and paintings, and, and they never compare to in person, ever. You go and you look at these in person, and uh, Van Gogh painted with such texture and so many different colors, if you were to run your finger over that painting, it literally would be like this. I mean, the paint was about that thick on it, and you could rub your hand on it. It was, it was rough, and all the lines that you see in that picture is actually texture and different colors. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And the opportunity to go around and see God's common grace using this man who didn't sell one piece of art until after he was dead, uh, died thinking that he was a failure. God's grace to us to be able to go and see this beauty was an awesome, awesome thing. Let me make a comparison. Just like seeing art in person is different than seeing art in print, I think the same thing is true about the grace and generosity of God. I think you can go to a church and you can listen to somebody stand up front and talk about the grace of God and the generosity of God, but until you've actually received it and experienced it for yourself, you don't really understand it. It's like looking at a painting like that and thinking that you've seen the best version of it. You really haven't. Until you've experienced it and until you've received it, you haven't really understood what it is to be in the presence of that kind of art or to be on the receiving end of a generous, magnificent God. Secondly, if you go into an art museum, you'll notice that almost all of the paintings have what on them? A frame. Yeah. A frame is supposed to be proportionate to the value and to the detail of the painting. In other words, I didn't go into the Van Gogh Museum 
and see on that painting an $8 Hobby Lobby wood panel frame. Why? Because it wouldn't have been appropriate, would it? It wouldn't have been appropriate. A frame is supposed to be proportionate to the picture and is supposed to be neither too nice or too less, right? It's not supposed to be the kind of thing that you look like, why did they put that frame on it? It also isn't supposed to have like diamonds to where you're looking at the frame. The point is the art. The point's the art. And so the frame has to be proportionate to the art to complement the art so that it not only points people toward the art, but kind of makes that the emphasis. Here's my parallel. The art is the grace and generosity of God. It's textured, it's beautiful, it's colorful, it's able to be experienced. The frame is our response to it. And our response, in a biblical sense, is that God is generous, and so are we. Now here's the thing. The frame in the expensive sense cannot be done in comparison to the magnificence of God's generosity. In other words, you couldn't create a nice enough response to the generosity of God to make it more magnificent than the art. However, you can do an $8 Hobby Lobby frame. You hear what I'm saying? And so, the point that I want to make and the framework that I want us to have as we go into this talk is this idea of the texture, the beauty, the color, the magnificence that is to be experienced, the artwork of the grace and generosity of God, and how our lives, our values, our purposes, our understandings frame that. And if they do it in a way that accentuates who God is, or that gives people the impression that who God is is not as valuable as he truly is because the frame is so messed up. Does that make sense? God then gives us lots of different ways where he expresses his generosity to us. Lots of different examples, lots of different texts. I'm going to make my way through them. And let me just say this. I'm not even scratching the surface. I'm just giving you a few ways that the artwork that is the generosity of God is expressed to us in the Bible. How many of you have memorized John 3.16? Anyone? Yeah, you flip on a, a football game and there's some dude who's inebriated and doesn't have his shirt on on the frozen tundra, and he's holding up a John 3.16 picture, right? We don't know why, he just does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Value is an interesting thing. Value is ultimately about the value of the giver and the value assessed by the receiver, but one of the most distinguishing aspects of anything having or not having value is its rarity. Let me give you an example. I wear this ring every single day. This ring is very valuable to me because of who gave it to me. My wife and my kids gave me this for Father's Day. You could go onto Etsy and buy this ring for 65 bucks. Why? Because there's a million of them. Right? But if this ring were the only ring that existed, the only ring that had ever been made or would ever have been made, I wouldn't be wearing it on my knobby finger. I'd be putting it in a vault because it would be incredibly valuable, right? Here's what God says. The perfect expression of the generosity of God is that his love is actionable and he gave us his only son. 
his only son, his most valuable son, the thing nearest and dearest to him, he gave to us that whosoever, one God gives his one son so that anybody who believed in the value of that son could have eternal life. The purest, the most textured, the most beautiful, the most colorful picture of the generosity of God is found in the person and work of Jesus. The only son who God gave so that you and I could be his sons and daughters. God says he gave us his son. In 1 John, he says, he gives us forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins. Have you ever had somebody who did something to you? And after a period in time, they kind of came to their senses and they said, hey man, here's the deal. I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. I'm asking you to forgive me. Anyone had that happen? Has anyone's response ever been, I know that I should, but I don't want to. My wife and I, from time to time, have... I said at West, unsanctified discussion. And there are times where she'll say to me and I'll say to her, hey, my bad, would you forgive me? And the answer is, no. <laughs> I won't. Ask again later after you go get me a milkshake. <laughs> Here's what God says. Because of Jesus, when we come to God and say, will you forgive me? God never says no. God never says come back later. God never says, I know I should, but I don't want to. God says, because of Jesus, who I gave you, I give you forgiveness. And why? Because it's just. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he accomplished, because of what he did. Not only will God never reject your request for forgiveness, but God says it's right to offer forgiveness to the extent that God cannot do what is not right and therefore cannot offer you forgiveness when you ask for it, beckoning the work of Jesus. So God sets up the medium for your forgiveness and then says, I will perpetually and eternally give you forgiveness whenever you ask for it. Whatever you do, whatever you've done, knowing that tomorrow you'll do it again. That's the generosity of God. Number three, is the mercy of God. God gives us Jesus. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us mercy. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says that the love of God never ceases and that his mercy is new. Does anyone know how often? Every single morning. I get a new dose of the mercy of God every single morning. And not because it ran out, but because God is that generous. God's the kind of God that when your bank account is full, he goes, here, just take some more. That's how much I love to give to you. Now, here's what you need to understand about mercy. Mercy is not grace. Grace is to give somebody something they do not deserve. Mercy is to not give somebody something that they do deserve. And I would say that mercy is more generous than grace, if I could be sacrilegious for a second, because it's harder. Let me give you an example. Nolan comes up to me afterwards and he says, I thought what you had to say was garbage. And he slaps me across the face. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Somebody's about to be laughing and it ain't Nolan. All right. What, 
what would, and you, you know, we could debate this, but, but I would say that it would be fair of me to pick up that music stand and smash it over Nolan's head. Mercy would be, that's right, I said it. Mercy would be for me to not. For me to not give him what he does deserve. And let me tell you something. That's incredibly hard, isn't it? Because as tolerant as we may be, God put in us his image that requires justice. And so God says, every morning when you wake up, my mercy is there waiting for you. My mercy is there waiting for you. It's new every single morning. Why? Because I'm a forgiving God because I gave you Jesus. Number four, God gives us saving grace. God gives us saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, mercy is God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Grace is God gives us what we don't deserve. And God says, the gospel is, I give you Jesus, I give you mercy, I give you forgiveness, I don't give you what you do deserve. I do give you what you do deserve when you depend on Jesus and that grace saves you. Saves you, rescues you, redeems you, makes you new, makes you whole, makes you complete, makes you like Jesus. God's grace saves us. God gives us eternal life. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, God gives you perfect life now, purposeful life now, transcendent life now, and eternal life then. God says that when I place my faith in Jesus, when I confess my sins to him, I invoke his mercy, I invoke his grace, and my eternity is assured because of Jesus. And that eternity is full of life, full of purpose, full of joy, full of hope, full of worship, everything that God has for me as far as the eye can see. That's what God gives me. God gives us the Holy Spirit, John 15 and verse 26. When Jesus leaves, he says, I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you the comforter. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to interpret your prayers. He's going to point you to Jesus. He's going to indwell you. He's going to be here for you. He's going to be accessible to you. He is your friend, the manifestation of God in you, in your midst, in your presence, indwelling, inhabiting your praise. I give you him. I give you him. God says that he gives us wisdom. James 1, love, 1 John 4, unity, Ephesians 4, hope, 1 Thessalonians 4, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, fellowship, 1 John 1. He goes on and on and on. And then finally, in James 1 and verse 17, he says this, listen, every good and perfect gift comes from God. At West this morning, I said, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about the good things in your life. And I'm going to do the same for you. I'm going to give you 15 seconds. And I want you to just sit there. And I want you to name off the good things that are in your life right now. One, two, three, go. Can I tell you something? 
Here's my list. The sun, green grass, robins in the morning, coffee. Number two, coffee. Number three, never mind. (laughs) Good music, good friends, good food, good TV show, good art, good poems, good books, a good night's rest. Dear God, a good night's rest. Listen, any good thing that you say, God gave it to you. You know that? That's how generous God is, that we could sit in this room and I could give you to eternity to name every good thing and none of them would have been given to you by anyone but God. That's how generous he is. The things that you enjoy, the people that you love, the things you look forward to eating, watching, listening to, reading, drinking, the conversations you just had, the hug you just got, the smile someone just gave you, all from God. All from God. Let me take the Christian life, if I could, and boil it down into two things. The Christian life, the substance of our relationship to God, is number one, that he gives, and number two, that we receive. That's it. Everything that you are that is good, that is noteworthy, that is celebratory, that is enjoyable, was given to you by God. And a Christian is somebody who very simply receives it. In fact, if you're somebody that says, no, 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 I need to earn it. No, 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 I don't deserve it. No, 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 I don't get to have it yet. Here's the thing, you aren't a Christian. Because when you say to a generous God, I'm going to work to give what you want to give, to get what you want to give me, you, you break the deal. You break the deal. A Christian is a Christian because God is generous. And a Christian is made a Christian when they say, I'm going to take generous God everything that you want to give me. Worship then is the acknowledgement that God gives the acknowledgement that I need to receive and a response. Worship is simply a response. A response then, not to gain, but because I've been given. Religion says, respond to gain. That's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. We reject that. That sends people to hell. The gospel is I respond because I've been given. There's nothing I could do to get more than I've already been given. That response, listen, is voluntary, is sacrificial, is joyful, and is generous. Now, all of those things that I just said, I could say to you about giving, couldn't I? Yeah, I could stand up here and I could talk to you about tithing. I could talk to you about Old Testament, New Testament. I could talk to you about Greek and Hebrew. I could talk to you about all of those things. Here's the problem. It would be asking you to focus on the frame instead of the art. I don't want you to focus on the frame. I want you to focus on a generous God. I want you to focus on who God is and what he's given you and what he's done. I think that I've told this story one time, but I'm going to tell it again because I like to tell it. My wife and I got married um, 
And we were living in Indiana at the time. I was a youth pastor that came to an end and we moved back to Ohio. And when we moved back to Ohio, I was having a difficult time finding a job. And so we were having a difficult time in our finances. Some of you are in that place right now. Not a good place to be and not a good place to be when you've just gotten married and you want to provide for this woman that you love. And so I ended up finding two jobs. One was that I laid brick with a bunch of Mennonites. The boss... (laughs) His name was Dean, and he was five foot eight both ways. And he used to, uh, the big cinder blocks, he would stack one horizontally and two vertically. He would reach through the two verticals, grab the horizontal, and put them up on the scaffold. (laughs) All right? He was a bad man. Um, So I did that, and then in the night time, I sold knives. True story. I still have a scar on this finger from the time I missed the carrot. So we moved back to our hometown, my hometown. I'm trying to figure out, God, what do you have for us? God, what do you want to do? I'm having a hard time making ends meet. And uh, they come to a point where uh, rent is coming due. I don't have the full amount. I start trying to go through all of the people who owe me money. No one does, right? (laughs) But give me my book back. Anyways, um, I figure out that the state of Indiana owes me a tax return check that it had gotten lost in, in our move. And so I call the state government and I say, yo, where's my money? And the lady on the other end says, yep, we, we, we do still have that. And so I'll get that in the mail for you right away. It was about 800 bucks. Our rent at the time was $425. And so I'm like, yes, thank you. When can I expect that? And she says, probably in six to eight weeks. And I say, you just said you were going to put that in the mail right away. And she said, well, I'm still the government. (laughs) And when I say I'm going to do something immediately, what I mean to say is I'm going to tell someone to do it. They're not going to do it for a while. Then it's going to go through some red tape. Then some other red tape. Three other guys aren't going to do what they're supposed to do. And then we'll send it out and you'll get it in two months. I hang up the phone. I started crying. Can't pay my rent. Got this girl to marry me. I'm laying bricks with a guy who's got deltoids the size of cannonballs. I just about cut my finger off with this stupid knife. This isn't what I signed up for. Why aren't I in the ministry like you wanted me to be, God? Four days went by. Saturday, I'm sitting on my couch, still trying to figure out people who owe me money. The mailman comes to the door. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Hands me a stack. Bill, 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 state of Indiana. I assume, of course, that it's another bill. So I open it, an $800 check, four days, no pastor story, straight up. Can I tell you something about that? If, as soon as I opened that up, you had said, let's talk about giving, do you know what I would have done? Gladly dropped it in the giving box. Why? Because I was looking at the art, not the frame. Do you know the reason why we get sideways on this topic sometimes? Is because we get bogged down in the minutia of giving instead of enthralled by the glory of a God who's generous. Because when I say, 
I'll give you 15 seconds. You ran out. I should have been able to give you 15 minutes and you'd be, still be going strong because that's how generous our God is. The reason that I don't want to talk to you about the frame today is because it's not compelling, because it's not motivating, because it's not the point, because it's not the art, because it's not the beauty. But when I say God gives this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and you receive all of it by his grace, and there are opportunities that he gives us to respond, well, yeah, yeah. Peter says, I want you to grow in grace, the title of our series. What is that? It's the acknowledgement, the growing in the truth that I am in need and that God gives me more than my need by his grace. That's what growing in grace means. It means that next year I know more clearly how much I need and that next year I have a full year to add to my list of all the things that God has given and I'm growing in grace. Paul then says that we should be growing in the grace of giving. Not the frame, the art. Not the urn, not the legalism, not the percentage, the response. To the beauty, to the texture, to the color, to the magnificence of a God who is this generous. And here's the thing that I need you to track with, guys. If you really want to know how much you love God, let's say on a scale of one to 10, and I say, how much do you love God? And you say, a 49. And everyone goes, Whoa, yeah, 49, I'm a 49 too, yeah. And then I say, on a scale of one to 10, what's your giving? And you say, a 1.5. Here's what God says. The 49 is actually a 1.5. You say, no, 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 that can't be true. What does God say? You can't serve God and mammon. You're going to love one and hate the other. Somebody that looks squarely into the grace of God and has a response, a quantitative, qualitative, observable response. That's how much they love the art. That's what God says. We fall and pray to looking at the framework and to moving the goalpost. God says, I'm a God who gives. You're a person who receives. And whatever you do out of that, whatever your response is, shows how much you value my grace. God then goes on to teach us some things, to give us some promises about giving. It got really quiet at this point at West, too. <laughs> Acts 20 and verse 35 gives us this promise. God says, listen, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You believe that? I don't. I don't. You know how I know that? Because I know my finances. That's how I know that. And so God goes on in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Check out what he says. And remember, these are promises that God gives us 
Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. You know what? I'm just going to read off the screen like y'all are doing, all right? Luke 6 and verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And, and we all like that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And then it gives an example of what will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In Ruth chapter 3, we have an example of a lady who is in need. And she goes to the field of a man who has the way to be able to be generous with her. And here's what happens. In that culture, you would have had these long flowing garments. And whenever somebody was trying to give you something, you would fold that garment up and create like a shelf with your outer garment. And whatever they were trying to give you, they would pour it into that shelf that was created with your outer garment. In the book of Ruth, chapter 3, Ruth spends the whole day in the field. And what does Boaz do? He gives her more than her shelf, as it were, is able to hold. And so she walks back, hugging this lap full of generosity, as it were. Here's what God says. This is a promise. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And if, based on your value system, you say, I'll give this. God says, whenever you create that shelf, what will happen? The seed that grew will give you back what you invested. That's a promise. That's a principle. It's not the only place that it says it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Paul is speaking. Paul is a guy who tends to go on rhetorical flourish. Thank you, bro. You're a good man. And I love what he does here in verse 6. He says, the point is this. All right? Let's boil this whole thing down. Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whosoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we all, all know the second verse, God loves a cheerful giver. And I've had people say to me, I can't give cheerfully, so God doesn't want me to give. Here's the thing. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. You're missing the art for the sake of the frame. Listen, when I opened up that check from the state of Indiana, yeah. Why? Because I knew that it wasn't really the state of Indiana who gave it to me. The government doesn't turn around checks in four days. I believe that God provided in a tangible way for me. And so in response... To who God is, I was glad to give. But here's what God says. The point is, however you sow, Madisonians love gardens in the front yard, apparently. All right? Whatever seed you put into your life grows. And if you sow stinginess, you get stinginess. You don't sow stinginess and get an apple. You sow generosity. God says, I will bless you with generosity. So here's the point. Are you with me? God wants us to grow in two aspects. One is to grow in the belief that I have been given and what I've been given. 
Listen, when God says, be content, be grateful. Why? Because of everything that you have. And I'm not talking about your apartment or your car or your phone. I'm talking about who you are in Jesus. Man, if we get through this five weeks and you know nothing else, I want you to know the lavish, broad, deep, profound grace of God and what it makes you. To the extent that no matter what's taken from you, you're still rich. You're still overflowing. Secondly, to grow in the belief of God's response to my generosity. Listen, not to grow in the belief of our response to God's generosity, but for me to grow in my belief of God's response to my generosity. Here it is. That I gain more in giving than I do in keeping. Now listen, we struggle profoundly with this. Here's why. Because we have bought into the belief that money, the more money I have, the safer I am. 2008 happens, your house is underwater, your investments are in, the, are in the tank. You're watching the news. People are losing everything. And we go about trying to insulate ourselves with money. Money's the thing that will keep us safe. We feel like the more we have, the safer we'll be. John D. Rockefeller was a billionaire before there were billionaires. And he was asked one time, how much money is enough? Do you know what, want to know what his response was? Just one more. I was in the gym this week, and the song came on. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. The DJ and the business mogul agree. And let's be straight, so do we. But God says, listen, the truth of it is that the more I trust my money, I've already lost. And listen, not only am I tethered to money, the need to have more, and the bondage, listen, the bondage of needing more money. Have you ever run into folks who they're always needing money? They are miserable souls. And I've run into rich folks who are always needing money, and I've run into poor folks who are always needing money. It's not an economic thing. It's a heart thing. And so this tethering that we have, this thing that says the more I have, the safer I'll be, puts us in bondage. And listen, it also excludes us from the blessing of God. God says, when you're generous, you invoke my blessing. So if I'm stingy, not only am I serving a false God, but I'm missing out on everything that God has for me. I'm losing twice. I'm losing twice. I can't be content. I can't be grateful. I can't be joyful because I'm not looking at what I have. I'm always needing more. And God has a storehouse of blessing that is initiated by my response to his generosity that I'm missing out on. And so here's my challenge and we'll be done because my voice is about to go. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3. In verse 10, the elders went into this study 
We created that resource for you. Asking God to tangibly grow us. Not just numerically, but in maturity and in the fullness that God has for us. Here's my challenge over the next week. Put this in your pipe and puff on it this week. All right? Are you ready? Here's my challenge. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. And thereby put me, what? Put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I love that God says, put me to the test. You know why he does that? Because he knows we won't believe him. Have you ever run into somebody and they're trying to convince you of something? And you're like, nah, man, come on. And they go, come on, just give me a chance, man. That's what God's doing. Here's what God says. When you are generous in response to my grace, when you're emphasizing the art and not the frame, when you sow generosity, I'm going to bless your socks off. You're opening something up that's more powerful than you could ever possibly imagine. And there's that thing in us that goes, nah, and God goes, try me. See if you can outgive me. See if you can outgenerous me. Put me to the test. So here's my challenge. My challenge is that through 2014, you put God to the test. That you be faithful to be generous. That you be faithful to give. Don't say next week, because we have an enemy, and that enemy is going to be waiting for you. You're going to give, and then you're going to have a crappy week, and you're going to be done. So don't do that. Through 2014, say, God, I want to believe that you'll bless me. I don't, but I'll test you. And through 2014, put him to the test and see if he does not open up the windows of heaven and bless until there is no more need. Stand with me and let's pray. like you to respond a handful of ways you can come up and take communion to be reminded of the grace and generosity of God through the personal work of Jesus we're going to do some singing if you'd like someone to pray with you we know there are those of you who have need we want to pray with you and be available and so please respond in those ways pray with me heavenly father I thank you that you've been so faithful to me so incredibly faithful your mercy has not only been new every morning, but God, you have taken care of me and my family every single step. You have filled it with good and perfect gifts. God, I'm beyond indebted to you. God, the texture, the beauty, the colors of your generosity in my life are in every corner of it. And God, I want to first just receive that today, that you love me that you love me and that your love is actionable, that I can look at my life and see your love all over the place. And God, I want to respond. I don't want to respond to get. I want to respond because I've been given. I want to be generous. But God, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And I trust things that fail me, things like money and investments and budgets. And so receive my confession and forgive me as you promised. God, I want to put you to the test. 
God, we're going to sow generosity into our lives, our relationships, our church. We're going to ask you to open the windows of heaven until there's no more need. God, we got big dreams here and there's lots of need. So you're going to have to open a big window. But would you help us, God, to in faith and in gratitude and in joy sow generosity and give you the opportunity to bless. God, keep us from the things the enemy tells us that are legalistic, from looking at the framework, from taking all the joy and all the worship out of it. Help us, God, to celebrate the opportunity to respond in giving, to rejoice, to be glad, to long for it. Make it a central piece of our gatherings because you're a generous God and we're your people. We receive and we respond for your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Cheers.